Good morning, Lakeside. I feel like we say it every week, but let me say it again. You are missed. It is strange to do sermons without you here. Uh, Church, we love you. Uh, Let us begin today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, I want to invite you uh, to begin the service with me like we often do, and that is by confessing our faith together. Let's begin by saying the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, Before we begin, I do want to just make one announcement. Uh, For those of you that are used to getting our, our quarterly daily bread and the monthly and or the monthly table talk. They are in uh, the quarterly beginning the June, July, August um, quarter, and this being the May uh, month for the table talk. Uh, if, if you'll let us know, send us an email, send it to me or send it to the office, contact us some way, we'll send it to you. I mean, if you want to come by and get it, we'll have it out front, uh, either out front of the um, office there or in the hallway, but uh, just one way or the other, if you want these, we will uh, get them to you. The psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray together. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is our great joy this day to know that you are good. You created all things and declared them good. You sent forth the gospel of salvation and our only hope as the good news Your son is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And the apostle assures us that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In your goodness, your steadfast love that endures forever, a faithfulness to all generations, be merciful to us, your weak people, always in need of grace. Make our repentance fruitful 
our joy in forgiveness eternal, our walk with Jesus holy, our testimonies of your mercies heard and believed, and our transformation of glory to Christ who seeks and wins the lost. Lord, forgive us that we have not served you with gladness, neglecting our prayers, not rejoicing and giving thanks in and for all things, not considering one another as more important than ourselves, not loving our enemies even as you do. Lord, be merciful to this world, particularly in its present distress. Give it the grace it does not deserve. Save lives. Draw, draw souls near to you. And Lord, strengthen our faith. We believe, help our unbelief. We are weak. Let the power of Christ be in us. We fear. Give us hope. And let your presence never depart from us. Father, these things and all things we pray in the name of our great assurance, the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The prophet Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. Well, welcome and good morning to everyone who's watching today at home. Uh, last week, we began a teaching series on the book of signs. Now, the book of signs is what some people call the first half of the Gospel of John. And it's called the book of signs because it contains um, seven supernatural miracles of Jesus, seven miraculous signs that point to Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the long-awaited Savior of the world. Last week, we began by reading the first sign, which happened in the book of John. and We read about uh, the wedding feast in Cana. And uh, at this wedding feast, they, they ran out of wine at this big wedding party. But Jesus stepped in. He, he turned 150 gallons of dirty water into, into fine wine. And, and it was very public. Uh, and it was, it was a very popular miracle, as you might imagine, uh, I mean, if you give the entire community almost unlimited quantities of fine wine, I guarantee you that people are going to remember that, and they're going to remember you, and they're going to share that story of the wedding feast to others in the community, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus became uh, known as a miracle worker, and his reputation spread all throughout Galilee. And I want to kind of walk forward in the story from there. Uh, we were in chapter 2 last week with, at this wedding in Cana. And, and if, uh, later in that same chapter, Jesus travels from, from Cana, where he does that miracle, uh, to, to Jerusalem. And, and that's a really healthy hike south. Uh, in fact, it's like 67 miles. So that, that's an aggressive three-day hike. 
Uh, the other night I went for a walk. It was about four miles. Uh, my back was screaming. I lost two pounds. And so when I think about these guys walking 67 miles in three days, uh, that, they're in pretty good shape. It's pretty, pretty aggressive. When Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem, what, what does he do? He goes right into the temple and he begins to drive out the money changers. I know you've heard that story before. He makes a, he makes a big scene. Uh, if you remember last week, Jesus was slow to jump into doing these miraculous things, but now he's not shy at all. He's, he's in the public view. He's, he's here in the temple. He makes a whip out of these cords, and he drives out all the animals that are sold in the temple for sacrifice. And he takes the money changer's coins, and it says he, he dumps the coins on the floor, and he actually flips over all the tables. And so the temple's full of people. Now, all these people witness what Jesus does. And Jesus is now known not only as a miracle worker, but he's also known as this guy who's made a big scene in the temple. And his, his reputation begins to grow. And, and Jesus says to these money changers, and, and this, is, uh, this is John 2, uh, 16, he says, he says this. He says, uh, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And obviously Jesus is this man of great zeal and he's this great authority. And, and after he says these things and he does these things and he makes this scene, the Jews that are there in the temple, they, they, they ask him this question. They say, uh, it's, it's verse 218, they say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So, so they say, what sign do you show us for doing the kind of things that you've just done here in the temple and for, and for telling us what the standards are for, for how things are to operate in the temple. And you're going to begin to see this theme in the book of signs. It's the first half of John's gospel, this theme of signs. Jesus tells them, he says, don't, don't take my father's house, my father's temple, and, to, and turn it into a, a house of trade. And they say to him, basically, well, what signs do you show us that we should do this, that we should listen to you? As we talked about last week, what does a sign do? Well, a sign, a sign points to something, right? That's, that's the job of a sign. Remember the street signs that we went through last week? You know, what does a stop sign point to? It, it points to your need to stop. The Jews in the temple, they want Jesus to give them a miraculous sign that points to his authority to have anything to say over temple life. Like, like why, do you, why do you tell us what to do? What authority have you? Give us a sign. You remember what Jesus says to them in verse 219? We'll put that one up as well. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up. And see, no one really got what Jesus was talking about. And, and heck, the first time I read the Gospel of John, I didn't get it either. Jesus isn't really talking about destroying the temple. He's, he's saying the sign that's going to point to my authority is that on the third day I will be resurrected and you will know why I have authority to say such things. The story continues and uh, Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He hangs out in Judea in, in the countryside for a while baptizing people. All of a sudden the, the Pharisees catch on to the fact that he's out there baptizing people. And so Jesus knows it's time to move. If you remember what happens in John chapter 4, uh, he, he goes through Samaria. He sees the woman at the well. Uh, he has a, a fantastic conversation with her. And uh, a lot of people in Samaria's lives are changed as a result of this woman and, and her conversion. Uh, he he leaves Samaria. He, he heads back to Cana, that long walk. And remember, Cana is the place of this first miracle. It's this place where he turned water into wine. 
and his reputation has been building and growing and changing. And that brings us to where I want to begin reading our text for the day. Our text for today is John 4, 45 through 54. And so uh, let's read it. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer. If you'll pray with me from home. Um, Father, we do gather around um, our screens. Many of us still in our pajamas with our cups of coffee. Father, we're, we're not in our normal church uh, clothes and not in our normal church location. But God, we still come to hear the Word of God. We come to gather around your revealed Word in Scripture. And so as we come to, uh, to John chapter 4, God, we, just, we pray that we would be subject to it, that we would hear it, that we would understand it, and that you would be glorified in our reading of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord found in John 4, beginning in the 45th verse. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, The first thing that we read in our text for the day is in verse 45. We read that the, the Galileans welcomed Jesus after seeing all that he had done in Jerusalem and at the feast, you bet that they had heard about everything that happened in the temple with the money changers and turning it over. Uh, Jesus had made a scene, and you bet that they remembered a few weeks earlier when Jesus had turned water into wine. And and because of those things, the Galileans welcomed Jesus. Uh, Immediately after establishing Jesus was welcomed in Canaan by everybody there, the scene in the story immediately switches to another town, the town of of Capernaum, uh, which is 18 miles to the northeast of of Cana. Uh, Jesus comes back to Cana, and and somehow news of his arrival reaches what's described in Scripture as an official. Uh, That's kind of a generic term, isn't it? uh, An official uh, the news that Jesus comes back to Cana reaches the ears of this official uh, who is uh, not in Cana, but he, he is in uh, Capernaum. Uh, and the Greek term for, for official is uh, baskilikos, which can be translated really as, as a nobleman or a kingsman or a, a, a petty king. And this is, a, this is an important man. He probably works for, for King Herod. 
This is a guy who would have tremendous influence. He would have had wealth. He would have had power. And, and the tragedy of the whole situation is, is that he has everything in the world except for one thing. He has a sick son. So sick, in fact, that Scripture says that he's sick to the point of death. And no amount of this nobleman's money or no amount of his influence can negotiate with death. And uh, while all death and sickness is sad, nothing really compares to, if you think about it, all sickness is sad. All death is sad, but no, no sickness and death really compares to the sickness and death of a child. Have you ever known a family uh, that, that maybe has a, a child with a terminal illness? Have you seen the toll that that takes upon those parents and upon the other children in the family, it, it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem natural. Kids are supposed to be so full of life, but yet you walk into any old cemetery in the world, you visit old cemeteries and you look down on those gray monuments, will tell you that, that children die, that children perish. Uh, you would have thought that they would be able to live full lives. They, they kind of seem almost immortal when they're that age, but they're not. They die. And none of the riches or the powers of this man can do anything to save his boy. Uh, when the famous, remember uh, the Lindbergh uh, kidnapping that occurred in Hopewell, New Jersey in 1982, uh, 1982 someone once said, uh, poor old Lindy, tonight he's worth $6 million and he would give every cent of it just to have his son back. Which of us would not give every cent, everything we had to save our child. That's the situation that we see coming here. This nobleman hears that Jesus is, is only 18 miles away and that he's come back to Cana. Uh, he's the man who's done these great signs, who's turned water into wine and seems to have all this authority. And so the nobleman decides right then and there that Jesus is the answer to healing his son. And, and I want to give this nobleman a great deal of, of credit because I think he handles the situation here very well. Because as a nobleman, he, he's, a, he's a busy man. You can imagine with his position and his title that lots of people want his time. And, and you know how difficult it is to connect and to get the attention of really busy people? Let's just say that you wanted to connect with the President of the United States. And so uh, you decide to call up the White House and you would say, hey, yes, this is, this is Bob and I have some concerns I want to talk to the president about it, and I pay taxes. I'd like to speak with him right now. What, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to be lucky if you could speak to an intern, right? You're not going to speak to the president. Similarly, if, if you try to call a congressman and, and you try to tell you, I want to speak with my congressman, oftentimes you're only going to speak to someone who works in his office. Or, or say you're feeling ill and you want to talk to your doctor. If, if you call your doctor, probably you're going to get lucky to reach a nurse. Now, I'm not trying to insult any of these men, like, you know, the doctor, the congressman, the president, or this nobleman. I'm not trying to insult any of them. I think that when you deal with a lot of people in your job, it's harder to divvy out your time, and you have to bring in staffers so that you can meet everybody's needs. But this is what I want you to notice about this story. This nobleman doesn't send one of his servants to get Jesus. He doesn't send his wife to get Jesus. He stops what he's doing. He leaves his son's bedside, and he journeys to find Jesus in Cana. Okay, nobleman, you've, you've traveled all this way to find Jesus. Let's look at what you're going to say to him. Uh, let's look at verse 45. If we can put verse 45 up. 
When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, leave this slide up for a little while. I don't think that the ESV does a really good job in translating this sentence here. Let me, let me tell you why. It's the phrase that, that he went to Jesus and he asked him to come and heal his son. It almost sounds, the way it's translated here, like it's a, a very casual, you know, kind of passing by request. Like, hey, Jesus, if you have time, heal my son. Have a good day. It, it, it's not that at all. Uh, the Greek verb for ask occurs in the imperfect tense here. And while I'm not a Greek scholar and don't claim to be, here's what I know that that means. It means that it's something that happens continually. And so it better be translated that that the official went to Jesus and he kept on asking him to heal his son. And the NIV translates that as as he begged him, right? It's not just this one-time thing. It was over and over and over again. He was like your kids when they find $30 and crinkled up $1 bills and loose coins and they have to have a new video game. And so they just say, please, 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 please take me to GameStop, please. I mean, it's kind of one of those asks. It's just continual. This nobleman's ask was, was ongoing and it was, it was desperate. He was begging for Jesus to come to uh, Capernaum and to save his child's life. I mean, would you not do the same thing if it was your child? If doctors had exhausted all of their resources and your child was at death's door and you have all the money in the world but you can't fix death, I guess at what point do proud, important, rich men end up at the feet of Jesus? Isn't that a fair question? At what point do proud, important, rich men end up at the feet of Jesus? Well, unfortunately, all too often, it's when all other options have been exhausted. But here is this nobleman. He's repetitively asking Jesus to come back to Capernaum and to save his child's life. And, and, and so what does Jesus say in response to this nobleman? Let's look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This was Jesus' response to the nobleman's plea. And some people have been actually critical of Jesus here. Some people have said that that Jesus is detached or that he's he's cold or that he's unsympathetic. But yeah, I want to suggest to you that Jesus' words are actually really, really full of grace here. Yes, they are critical. Yes, they are corrective. But sometimes you need people to be honest with you. So so let me me prepare you for when you meet Jesus. Uh, You may have to answer for some of your flaws to Jesus, for some of your sins. And at that point, it's not about pleasantries. It's about your salvation. And the same is true here. Jesus needed to speak some, some tough truth for the sake of this man's soul. And, and listen, I, I promise I'm not normally that, uh, that guy caught up in correcting biblical translators. Uh, but I need to point out that what Jesus says isn't just aimed at, at the nobleman. It's not just about one person. Look again at verse 48. If we can make sure that that's up again. When Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders... You see, what's not clear here in this translation, the you is plural, okay? Uh, So it should probably say, unless you all, or if you're from Texas, it should say, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. 
So Jesus is talking not only to this nobleman, but he's also talking to all these Galileans that are around and gathered. Those who had so warmly welcomed him back into Cana, uh, that had seen him turn water into wine, who had seen these miracles that he had done. There are a lot of people there who were just focused on Jesus' miracles. Really quickly, let me get to the point. Jesus says, you are focusing on the signs and you're missing what they point to. That's the logic here. The the people are focusing on the signs and they're missing what they point to. He, He tells the nobleman and the crowd, here I stand before you, the son of God, and you still want to focus on signs. You don't want to focus on me. Imagine, if you will, illustration here. Imagine, if you will, you uh, take a road trip to go see the Grand Canyon. And you pack pack up all your mouthy kids and all their devices and all their pillows and all their blankets, and you drive for for two days. I looked it up. From here, it's 21 hours and 44 minutes, not to mention bathroom breaks and gas stops and a night in a hotel. And finally, after two full days of fighting and complaints, you arrive at one of the great wonders of the world, the Grand Canyon. And you say to the kids, uh, look, kids, we're here. And you get out of the car and you say, there's that sign that points to the Grand Canyon. And, and you're so moved, you just stare at that sign. And you, and you get the kids out and you take pictures in front of the signs. And then you say to your family, you ready to go home? And you turn around and and you leave because you don't care about the Grand Canyon. You just came here for the sign. That's about the logic of what Jesus is getting at. People care more about his signs than they care about him. Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the treasure. And everyone's focused on the signs. And the only point of the signs is, is really to point to Jesus, to tell everyone uh, how great he is, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And listen, I just want to tell you that some Christians today still wrestle with this. They still wrestle with the idea that they know Jesus and, and they have him in their lives, they know the gospel, and yet they're infatuated with wanting to find signs. They're still caught up with seeing miracles. It's like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, looking into the Grand Canyon, and then going, man, I wonder if there's any signs around here that point to the Grand Canyon. That would be really great. That's really what I want to see. It it makes no sense. But that's what Jesus accuses the noblemen of. And that's what he accuses these Galileans in the crowd of, that they're infatuated with the signs and they're missing the treasure. Okay, And and the nobleman doesn't deny Jesus' charge. He doesn't try to defend himself. He simply says in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. It's not arrogant. It's not defensive. simply desperate, right? And and Jesus' response to the nobleman is interesting. It's in verse 50. Jesus simply says, Go, your son will live. On the one hand, um, Jesus says to the man, like, no, I'm, I'm not going to go to Capernaum with you. And, and no, I will not give you a sign. Like, like Jesus isn't going to do it the way this man wants him to with, with a sign and, and, and for him traveling down there. But on the other hand, Jesus says, go and, and your son will live. Jesus offers this man only a promise. Jesus offers this man nothing but his word, nothing flashy, 
only the promise of go, your son will live. And oftentimes, that's the way of Jesus, isn't it? We ask for this or we ask for, for that. We ask for signs and we ask for miracles. And all that Jesus seems to offer us some days are his promises. And at the end of the day, every one of us will find ourselves in the same position as this nobleman. We've heard about Jesus. We know about his miracles. And maybe we've come to Jesus even asking for something. And, and Jesus has given us not signs, but, but promises. We, we come to his word and we find these promises. And notice you're going to have to decide if you can take Jesus at his word. Do you trust the promises of Jesus? There's an American cliche that goes something like this. Seeing is believing. You heard that before. Seeing is believing. In our scripture today, the issue at hand is, will this nobleman believe without seeing? It turns that the other way. We call this faith. Will this nobleman believe that Jesus has healed his son, even though his son is 18 miles away? If Jesus would have, would have come to the man's house, and if he would have been there and said some words and touched him, if he would have covered him with anointing oil, he would be able to see it, and it would, it would make it easier for him to believe. But Jesus doesn't give him any of that. Jesus only gives him his word. And, and the greatest miracle in the story, one of them might just be the faith of this nobleman. And that in itself was a gift of God. Without seeing that his son was healed, in verse 49, we read this that this nobleman believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. Jesus gave this man his word, and he believed it, and he went on his way. I guess one of the questions for today, one of the things to, to learn in our lives is how would our lives be different if, if we were like this nobleman in, in that way, if, if we believed like this, if we just believed the words of Jesus and we just went on our way. Think about some of the promises of Jesus in Scripture. There's, there's tons of them. Jesus, by his word, says to us, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What if we believe that? What if we took Jesus at his word, that if we gave up our own lives and we lost our own lives, we would find them? What would that look like? What about, if we look at John six thirty seven? it says, all those the Father gives will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. What would it mean to take Jesus at his word? What confidence will we have if we believe that promise? That those of us who have been given over to Jesus would never be cast out. What confidence would you have at, at, at your place before Christ? I, I want to finish our story. Let's read together verses 51 through 53. As the nobleman was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when uh, he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live, and he believed in all of his household. Just a quick few observations here. It appears that the exact time when Jesus offered his word that the boy would live was the seventh hour. Now, uh, if you kind of look that up and find out when, what that translates to in, in our time, that's about one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and, and the man left Jesus and he, and he believed. 
And if you have a son who's, who's near death and you've, you've made this trip to see Jesus, what do you think you would do when Jesus says, go, your son will be healed? I think most of us would, uh, would turn right around and we would make the return home back to see our child. That's an 18-mile walk uh, to Capernaum uh, from Cana. And, and, and so imagine if we left about one, I could get 18 miles, maybe by five or six o'clock at night, you know, and, and I'd be back by his bedside. But it appears from the conversation with his servants that this man doesn't get back until the next day. Remember when the servant's talking to him, he said, uh, you know, when did he get better? He says, oh, you know, about the seventh hour yesterday. And took care of some business or he went somewhere else before he went home. Either way, listen, the only way that you would do this as a parent is if you truly believed that your son was no longer in danger. The nobleman uh, goes on about his business because he believes in the promises of Jesus. And what was the ultimate response of this nobleman? Uh, if you go back, that he believes in Jesus and also all of his household believed in Jesus. And this section ends with, with uh, verse 54. Uh, put that up there. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Praise God. Isn't that a great story? Let's review just so we all make sure we get the main points here. Uh, we are reading from this section of the Bible called the Book of Signs. So what was the sign in this story? The sign was Jesus healing a man's son. Even though Jesus would not give this man anything but his word to believe in. And what does this sign point to? Well, it points to Jesus' power to control sickness and death. And it points to our need to trust in the promises of Jesus in the absence of, of miraculous signs. If you're watching this video at home, I want you to know that, that Jesus made certain promises by his word towards his people. And just like this nobleman, you can choose to either doubt these promises or you can walk in faith and trust the word of Jesus. And in the end, those who walk in faith uh, will find that Jesus' words are true. And you'll discover that th this great healing that happens, which is really your need for the forgiveness of sins. I, I pray that you today will hear the promises of Jesus. And I pray that you will walk in faith. And I pray that you don't get lost in just wanting Jesus' signs. But you discover that he is the treasure and he's right there in front of you. Jesus is the Savior. Praise be the Son of God. Uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you uh, for this story today and for this sign, God, and, and, and where we uh, miss the treasure of Jesus for desiring his signs, Lord, we repent. Christ, you are, are merciful uh, to forgive us of our sins and to heal us in the same way that you healed uh, this man's son. Uh, thank you uh, for the cross, Jesus. Uh, we worship you as a church that is united, even though we are divided across this great area here. Uh, to you be all glory in the name of Christ Jesus. Uh, amen. Uh, church, we have been uh, the church gathered. Uh, go and be the church scattered. And as you do, take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' his son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Amen. Thank you.